Section eight of Farewell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Farewell by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. Section eight. The Colonel left the Minorite convent that he was destined to see only once again. The doctor was alarmed by the effect that his words made upon his guest. His niece's lover became as dear to him as his niece. If either of them deserved to be pitied, that one was certainly Philippe. Did he not bear alone the burden of an appalling sorrow? The doctor made inquiries, and learned that the hapless colonel had retired to a country house of his, near Saint-Germain. A dream had suggested to him a plan for restoring the countess to reason, and the doctor did not know that he was spending the rest of the autumn in carrying out a vast scheme. A small stream ran through his park, and in winter-time flooded a low-lying land, something like the plain on the eastern side of the Beresina. The village of Satou, on the slope of a ridge above it, bounded the horizon of a picture of desolation, something as Studjanka lay on the heights that shut in the swamp of the Beresina. The colonel set labourers to work to make a channel to resemble the greedy river that had swallowed up the treasures of France and Napoleon's army. By the help of his memories, Philippe reconstructed on his own lands the bank where General Eble had built his bridges. He drove in piles, and then set fire to them so as to reproduce the charred and blackened bulks of timber that on either side of the river told the stragglers that their retreat to France had been cut off. He had materials collected like the fragments out of which his comrades in misfortune had made the raft. His park was laid waste to complete the illusion on which his last hopes were founded. He ordered ragged uniforms and clothing for several hundred peasants. Huts and bivouacs and batteries were razed and burned down. In short, he omitted no device that could reproduce that most hideous of all scenes. He succeeded. When, in the earliest days of December, snow covered the earth with a thick white mantle, it seemed to him that he saw the Beresina itself. The mimic Russia was so startlingly real that several of his old comrades recognised the scene of their past sufferings. Monsieur de Sucy kept the secret of the drama to be enacted with this tragical background, 
but it was looked upon as a mad freak in several circles of society in paris in the early days of the month of january eighteen twenty the colonel drove over to the forest of l'isle-adam in a carriage like the one in which monsieur and madame de vandieres had driven from moscow to studianka the horses closely resembled that other pair that he had risked his life to bring from the russian lines he himself wore the grotesque and soiled clothes accoutrements and cap that he had worn on the twenty ninth of november eighteen twelve he had even allowed his hair and beard to grow and neglected his appearance that no detail might be lacking to recall the scene in all its horror i guessed what you meant to do cried m fangin when he saw the colonel dismount if you mean your plan to succeed do not let her see you in that carriage this evening i will give my niece a little laudanum and while she sleeps we will dress her in such clothes as she wore at studianka and put her in your travelling carriage i will follow you in a berline soon after two o'clock in the morning the young countess was lifted into the carriage laid on the cushions and wrapped in a coarse blanket a few peasants held torches while this strange elopement was arranged a sudden cry rang through the silence of night and philippe and the doctor turning saw genevieve she had come out half dressed from the low room where she slept farewell farewell it is all over farewell she called crying bitterly why genevieve what is it asked m fangin genevieve shook her head despairingly raised her arm to heaven looked at the carriage uttered a long snarling sound and with evident signs of profound terror slunk in again tis a good omen cried the colonel the girl is sorry to lose her companion very likely she sees that stephanie is about to recover her reason god grant it may be so answered m fangin who seemed to be affected by this incident since insanity had interested him he had known several cases in which a spirit of prophecy and the gift of second sight had been accorded to a disordered brain two faculties which many travellers tell us are also found among savage tribes so it happened that as the colonel had foreseen and arranged stephanie travelled across the mimic beresina about nine o'clock in the morning and was awakened by an explosion of rockets about a hundred paces from the scene of action it was a signal hundreds of peasants raised a terrible clamour 
like the despairing shouts that startled the russians when twenty thousand stragglers learned that by their own fault they were delivered over to death or to slavery when the countess heard the report and the cries that followed she sprang out of the carriage and rushed in frenzied anguish over the snow-covered plain she saw the burned bivouacs and the fatal raft about to be launched on a frozen Beresina. She saw Major Philippe brandishing his sabre among the crowd. The cry that broke from Madame de Vendière made the blood run cold in the veins of all who heard it. She stood face to face with the colonel who watched her with a beating heart. At first she stared blankly at the strange scene about her. Then she reflected. For an instant, brief as a lightning flash, there was the same quick gaze and total lack of comprehension that we see in the bright eyes of a bird. Then she passed her hand across her forehead with the intelligent expression of a thinking being. She looked round on the memories that had taken substantial form, into the past life that had been transported into her present. She turned her face to Philippe and saw him. An awed silence fell upon the crowd. The colonel breathed hard, but dared not speak. Tears filled the doctor's eyes. A faint colour overspread Stéphanie's beautiful face, deepening slowly, till at last she glowed like a girl radiant with youth. Still the bright flush grew. Life and joy kindled within her as the blaze of intelligence swept through her like leaping flames. A convulsive tremor ran from her feet to her heart, but all these tokens, which flashed on the sight for a moment, gathered and gained consistence, as it were, when Stephanie's eyes gleamed with heavenly radiance, the light of a soul within. She lived, she thought. She shuddered. Was it with fear? God himself unloosed a second time the tongue that had been bound by death and set his fire anew in the extinguished soul. The electric torrent of the human will vivified the body whence it had so long been absent. "'Stephanie!' the colonel cried. "'Oh, it is Philippe!' said the poor countess. She fled to the trembling arms held out towards her, and the embrace of the two lovers frightened those who beheld it. Stephanie burst into tears. Suddenly the tears ceased to flow. 
she lay in his arms a dead weight as if stricken by a thunderbolt and said faintly farewell philippe i love you farewell she is dead cried the colonel unclasping his arms the old doctor received the lifeless body of his niece in his arms as a young man might have done he carried her to a stack of wood and set her down he looked at her face and laid a feeble hand tremulous with agitation upon her heart it beat no longer can it really be so he said looking from the colonel who stood there motionless to stephanie's face death had invested it with a radiant beauty a transient aureole the pledge it may be of a glorious life to come yes she is dead oh but that smile cried philippe only see that smile is it possible she has grown cold already answered monsieur fangeat monsieur de sucy made a few strides to tear himself from the sight then he stopped and whistled the air that the mad stephanie had understood and when he saw that she did not rise and hasten to him he walked away staggering like a drunken man still whistling but he did not turn again in society general de sucy is looked upon as very agreeable and above all things as very lively and amusing not very long ago a lady complimented him upon his good humour and equable temper ah madame he answered i pay very dearly for my merriment in the evening if i am alone then you are never alone i suppose no he answered smiling if a keen observer of human nature could have seen the look that sucy's face wore at that moment he would without doubt have shuddered why do you not marry the lady asked she had several daughters of her own at a boarding-school you are wealthy you belong to an old and noble house you are clever you have a future before you everything smiles upon you yes he answered one smile is killing me on the morrow the lady heard with amazement that monsieur de sucy had shot himself through the head that night the fashionable world discussed the extraordinary news in divers ways and each had a theory to account for it play love ambition irregularities in private life according to the taste of the speaker 
explained the last act of the tragedy begun in 1812. Two men alone, a magistrate and an old doctor, knew that Monsieur le Comte de Sucy was one of those souls, unhappy in the strength God gives them, to enable them to triumph daily in a ghastly struggle with a mysterious horror. If for a minute God withdraws his sustaining hand, they succumb. Paris, March 1830 End of section 8 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. End of Farewell by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage.